Welcome to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and find us online at theridgecc.com. At our website, you can catch up with everything that's happening at The Ridge, watch previous messages, and learn more about who we are. If you want to watch services live, you can catch them every Sunday via our online community at live.theridgecc.com. We hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, I want to welcome everyone who is joining us in Oak Creek and those who are tuning in online wherever you're at today and to everyone in Greenfield. Hey, thank you so much for joining us here today. It feels so good to say that where we're all coming here uh, together. Hey, if we haven't yet met, my name is Tyler and I get to serve as our online campus pastor. And, and what that means is uh, we've actually uh, have taken our, our, the opportunity that uh, this year has kind of brought us to take our online campus and expand it to this fully new, complete digital campus. Here's what we mean by that. Uh, Prior to COVID, we actually took our Greenfield services and we broadcast them online where where people could connect online. And and we had a team of people, great team of people that were serving uh, that way. But now we wanted to make this its own full digital campus with its own leadership and resources and strategy so that we can help people online. Anything that we do in person, we can do online, like attending Ridge Groups online, serving online, inviting online. In fact, uh, we created uh, their own uh, weekend services that they can be a part of online. And so we have this new online broadcast studio uh, where we have a great team of people. They are serving in there to, to create these new, unique online services for those who are joining us online. In fact, we've been getting these messages from people all across the country saying, hey, that felt so personal. That felt so intentional. That felt so relational. Hey, thank you so much uh, for, for, for doing that. And so wherever you're at, if you have someone that you would love to be a part of the Ridge, and, and if they live somewhere differently than you, wherever they live, you know, geographically speaking, invite them and just tell them, hey, you can join the Ridge because anything that we can do in person, we can also do online. Well, today uh, we are kicking off a brand new series called Dark Horses. And uh, if you're a fan of sports at all, my bet is is that you've heard that term dark horse. It's like that underdog that we all root for to, to win. And the first time that we've ever heard the term dark horse actually came from a novel that was written in the 1800s. And here's what the novelist said. Uh, He said, a dark horse which had never been thought of and which the careless St. James, who was this horse better, he never even observed him on the list. This horse rushed past the grandstand in sweeping triumph. In other words, it won. And it's from this whole idea we get our definition of a dark horse, which that definition is a little-known person who is unlikely to succeed, who ultimately accomplishes great things. And I mean, we love dark horse stories. I mean, let's just move outside of sports for a moment. Some of our favorite movies are dark horse stories. I mean, we think of movies like Gladiator, Braveheart, all of the Star Wars movies, all the Rocky movies. It features a dark horse, someone who's unlikely to win, and then ultimately goes and does these incredible things. And when we watch these, we tend to get inspired uh, from these dark horse stories. We think, wow, that was so cool. You know, they did that. You know, we wonder, can I do something like that? Because I'm unlikely to succeed. You know, can I be a dark horse? But then what we tend to do is we tend to look around all that's going on around us, and and we look at, you know, at our relationships, we look at our finances, we look at our jobs, and we feel a little bit stuck. You know, we, we don't 
quite measure up. We feel a little inadequate. We wonder, yeah, I don't know if I can really do anything. And then when it comes to God, you know, we, we have a relationship with God. Some of us might say, I've been stuck in this relationship with God for years, or I'm checking things out. I don't have all the answers to my questions. I don't know what to do with that. And we wonder, could God really do anything significant or important inside of me? Well, the good news for us is that as we go throughout the series, we'll discover that God has used dark horses all throughout history. In fact, our big idea for us uh, throughout this series that I hope you don't just understand, I hope you actually experience it in your life. And our big idea is this, is that God has always used imperfect people to do incredible things. That when you read throughout the Bible, there's story after story after story of every person, you know, imperfections and all that God has used to do these amazing things that have this lasting impact. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few weeks and go on a journey together, and we're going to look at three examples of this. And we're going to look at these dark horse stories. And if you're new to the Bible, or if you're not even sure if you believe in the Bible, or, or don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus— I hope these stories are so inspiring to you, so compelling and so engaging that you would actually want to go back and read these on your own and just check them out for yourself. But if you are familiar with the Bible and maybe you've been following Jesus for some time, you might be familiar with some of these stories. I hope you see them in a fresh perspective. You see them in a new way and be like, oh, oh yeah, I want to go back and check that out on my own as well. In fact, what we want to do is if we look at these stories is we want to pull out principles from them and apply them to our own lives so we can experience our own dark horse stories. And so the first story that we're going to look at is one of my favorite stories throughout the whole Bible. In fact, uh, this book is one of my favorite books to read. I think it's so compelling and so interesting. But as I did more research on this story, I began to discover that there were more details about this person that I could relate to than what I first thought. And so this first dark horse story that we're going to look at is the story of Esther. And we're going to represent her with the Queen of Hearts. And Esther's story is told in the book of Esther found in the Old Testament thousands of years before Jesus. And Esther's story, it's so compelling and engaging. It, it, it's a real page turner. It has these great scenes. And so we're going to name the scenes as we move through the story. And the, and the first scene, I think the most appropriate name, honestly, is The Hangover. And, and, and here's why. Uh, it doesn't feature Esther in the first scene. It actually features uh, King Xerxes. And King Xerxes is the king of Persia. And this is the big empire at the time. And if you've ever thrown a party or an all-nighter, let me just tell you this. King Xerxes got you beat. Because what we read is that he threw a party that lasted 180 straight days. The Bible says at the end of this, he was in high spirits. I think that was an understatement. You know, he's there, he's got all of his guys, they're having a good time, and he comes up with this idea. He says, you know what? I'm going to take my queen, Queen Vashti, and, and one of the things we want to remember back then, their view of women was so low. Like women's view was, was just a little bit more than, than a piece of property. He's like, I'm going to take my queen, Queen Vashti, and I'm going to have her come parade herself around in front of us. I'm going to have her wear her royal crown and that's it, just her crown. So he calls for Vashti to come do this. And Vashti's like, no, 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 no. I am not going to do that. I mean, she has so much self-respect for herself. She says, no, 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 I'm not going to come. 
Well, the king hears this response, and he gets angry and embarrassed because she won't do this for him. And so uh, he's like, all right, all right, here's what's going to happen. You don't disrespect me. I'm going to get rid of you. And he banishes her from the kingdom, and she's gone as, as queen. Now, some time passes, and Xerxes learns what many of us know. And that is you don't make the best decisions under the influence of alcohol. And he misses his queen. And so he wants, he wants another queen. And so he gathers his group of guys around and he asks them, he's like, hey, how can I get a new queen? And they come up with an answer that, again, I think only a group of guys can come up with. And again, keep in mind their view of women back then. Here's what his royal advisors say. The king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners to bring all these beautiful young women and let beauty treatments be given to them. And then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. And get this next line. I don't think this is a surprise. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. And so we move into the next scene of Esther's story, which we're just going to simply call The Bachelor. Because the first season of this show happened thousands of years before it aired. No one can just find Chris Harrison. I mean, he's nowhere to be found. But they're getting all these girls to come around and, and uh, see who will be the next queen. And this is when we are actually introduced to Esther. And we learn a little bit about Esther's backstory. Esther, uh, she's Jewish, and her parents died when she was very young, and she was raised by her cousin, Mordecai, who's also Jewish. In fact, when he was a kid, he grew up in Jerusalem, but the Babylonian Empire took over Jerusalem, and they, they carried him off into exile, and then the Persian Empire, which is King Xerxes' empire, took over the Babylonian Empire, and they actually allowed the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their land. But Mordecai and Esther, for whatever reason, chose to stay in the Persian Empire in the village of Susa, uh, where they are at today. And so Esther is chosen to be uh, um, one of the contestants uh, for, to become queen. And so she goes into this contest, and both her and Mordecai decide, hey, it probably would make sense to not reveal to people that you are Jewish, because if they find that out, that will lower your chances of you winning this competition. And so she goes through the competition, and she is chosen. The king picks her, and all of a sudden, he just declares a national holiday. He throws another big party, and he declares Esther to be queen, which leads us to our next scene. And we move along, and we go in this third scene, which we're just going to call Criminal Minds. And the reason why we're going to do that is we are introduced to another character. His name is Haman, represented by the Joker. Now, he's not the Joker because he's a clown or because he's funny. I want you to think of Heath Ledger Joker in The Dark Knight. I mean, this guy, Haman, he's evil, he's maniacal, he's angry. We discover later he's a racist. He hates the Jewish people. But yet, he makes it up through the king's staff. He actually is put into second into command. And there's a, a law that's put out that says, hey, whenever Haman walks by someone in the, in the empire, they are to bow down to him to recognize his royal position. And so Haman loves it. He's walking around. People are bowing down to him. But then Haman comes across our guy Mordecai. And because Mordecai is Jewish, he's saying, I'm not going to bow down to another person. I only bow down to God. 
And so he refuses to bow down to Haman, which just sets Haman off. I mean, he gets so angry, so upset at Mordecai that he says, I'm going to make sure that you are punished. But not just you, all of your people are going to be punished as well. And so he goes and he tricks the king into signing a, a new law. And this law says that March of the following year, all of the Jewish people are to be gathered up, rounded up, and killed. It's horrible. It's an evil law. It's an evil law of mass genocide that Haman's puts into play. And of course, this law is coming all throughout the Persian Empire. People are hearing about this. They're, they're realizing, oh, this is going to happen. Mordecai finds out about this law, and he realizes there is only one person that can save them, and that is Esther. And so he calls out to Esther, and he sends her a message. And he says, hey, Esther, you got to do something about this law. Get your king to overturn this law. And Esther receives this message, and she, she sends another one back to Mordecai. She says, hey, Mordecai, I get what you're asking, but I need you to understand it's not that easy. Because if I go to the king, I could get killed. Because the king, he only will talk to people he wants to talk about, and, and he calls for them. If anyone approaches the king uncalled for, they can kill him unless if he lowers his scepter and says, yeah, I want to talk to you. But he hasn't done that in a very, very long time. And so, Mordecai, you're asking me to risk my life. And Mordecai gets this message, and he won't back down. He sends her another message. He says, hey, I, I hear what you're saying, but I want you to re remember a couple things. First is, don't forget that you are also Jewish. They're going to figure this out, and if this law is carried out, you're going to be killed as well. And then he reminds her about how she came in to be positioned as queen, how she started off as an orphan and then became this unlikely queen throughout the empire. He says, hey, maybe there's a reason behind this. And he gives her this incredible statement. He says, who knows, but that you have become to your royal position as queen for such a time as this. Hey, Esther, this is your shot. Maybe you became queen so that you could save your people. You know, when I read this phrase, for such a time as this, I can't help but think about this year that we're in, in 2020. Because I've not had anyone come up to me in a conversation and lead it off this way and say, hey, you know what's been a great year? This one. No, honestly, this year has been full of challenges. There's been a lot of difficult things going on. We've had the whole COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, we've had the economic downturns. We've had the racial injustice. We've had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle uh, throughout this year. It, it, it's been very difficult for, for many of us, if not all of us. But yet, I can't help but wonder, what would Mordecai say to those of us who are followers of Jesus? I bet he'd say, hey, you are here for such a time as this. Because honestly, there, I see no greater opportunity than for us to go out and love others, serve others, and help others. And perhaps you're here at this time. You live where you live. You have the relationships that you have for such a time as this. And so Mordecai, he, he gets this message out to Esther, and she receives it. And it moves us into this next scene that we're just going to call Braveheart. Because Esther receives this message from Mordecai. She says, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead 
And I'm going to gather people in, in, in my place of the palace, and I want you to go ahead and gather all of those who are Jewish outside of the palace throughout the empire, and I want you to go and pray and fast for three days. In other words, we're going to go to God about this. And then when we go to God about this, here, here's what we're going to then do. She, she makes this commitment. When this is done, when we're done going to God, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's an incredible statement of courage. And when we read through her book, we realize it just takes five verses from her to go from this incredible transition from, hey, I'm scared if the king's going to kill me, to, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to God and seek him out on this, to, hey, I'll do something about this, even if it will cost me. It's an incredible act of courage. How did she get this courage? Well, it came from God. When she sought God. In fact, she, in her time of seeking God, there was a choice that she had to make. And I want us to think of it like this. I want us to think through the statement, if blank, then blank. And we all have things that we can put in these blanks. And we tend to think about this first blank. This first blank is the first thing that, that we're afraid of. Hey, if I get sick, if I lose my job, if she's pregnant, if she leaves. And when we think about this first blank, we get afraid of it because of what's the next blank is. Well, then I'll die. Then I'll lose the house. I'll lose my comfort. I'll lose my lifestyle. I'll lose my relationships. I'll be all alone. For Esther, her first blank was if I go to the king. If I go to the king, then I'll die. But then when she sought God, it led her to a choice. And the choice was to believe something else. And that was, well, if blank, then God. Then God will still be enough. Then God will still keep his promises. That God will still be God. She came to a spot where she said, okay, if, if I, if, even if I die, God will still save his people. And so she made this choice to still believe this. And this gave her that courage and so she went and she decided, I'm going to go to the king. And so she started walking towards him step by step by step to his part of the palace. Every step that she knows she is taking could be her last step. She could be killed by one of the guards if the king doesn't lower his scepter. And so she goes to him and she's practicing what she's going to say. And she gets in his presence. The guards see her. They know king hasn't called for her. And so they're getting ready to attack and protect the king. But the king sees her and he says, hey, Esther, what is it that you want? And he lowers his scepter and she's, she's safe. She can make her request. In fact, he even says, I will give you whatever it is that you ask for. So she just looks at him and says, well, here, here's what I want. I want a meal with you. Let, let's have you, me, and Haman all have a dinner together tomorrow night. And at that dinner, I'll tell you what I want. King says, all right. Sounds great. And so he sets it up, and then they let Haman know about this. And Haman is just super excited. I mean, he, he's like, oh, the king and the queen, they're going to throw me a dinner. This is awesome. They're going to tell me how great I am. They're going to tell me how much they love me. This is going to be so good. I mean, nothing can bring him down, except he's walking home that night, and he sees Mordecai again. And Mordecai refuses to bow down to him again. 
And so Haman, he gets so angry about this. He gets home. He's complaining about this to his wife, to his friends. And they're like, well, why don't you get rid of him? Why don't you set up an impaling pole and convince the king tomorrow at this dinner you're going to have with him that, that he needs to be impaled and killed? And he's like, that's a great idea. So he sets up this pole, and he's getting ready to have Mordecai killed. Well, the next night comes. They're at this meal together. And we see Haman, Esther, Xerxes, they're having a great dinner, great time. And it finally reaches the point in the meal where the king asks Esther, okay, why don't you just tell us, what is it that you really want? And Esther tells him, hey, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. She's beginning to reveal herself as Jewish. This is my request, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And the king hears her say this, and his heart just sinks. Well, Esther, who would do such a thing? And she points at Haman right across the table and says, he tricked you. And this is why this is going to happen. King hears this, and he gets so upset. He gets angry. In fact, he has to go outside to collect his thoughts to decide how he's going to respond to this. And it's at this moment that Haman realizes that he's in trouble. And the only one who might be able to save him now is Esther. So he says, I'm, I'm going to beg and plead for my life. Maybe she'll uh, extend grace to me. And so he, he actually uh, goes to her and, and tries to start begging, but he must have tripped or something because he ends up on top of her. He falls on her right when the king walks back into the room. And so the king just thinks the worst. He's like, is Haman going to assault my queen right here? And, and so his anger level goes up to a whole other level, understandably. And he's just getting even angrier and angrier at Haman. He's like, what should I do with him? And one of the king's royal advisors says, well, there's a pole out there that's set up to impale someone. Do you want to impale him on that? And the king says, yes, that's a great idea. And so Haman is impaled on the pole that he set up to kill Mordecai on. Then the king and Queen Esther, they get together and, and they reverse the law and they save all the, pe all the Jewish people who were set to be killed later in the year. It, it, it's an incredible story. I mean, the story uh, that movies are made of where Esther moves from this unlikely queen, I mean, this orphan child to becoming the queen to saving her people. And as we uh, look at the story, I think there are two key principles that we can pull out of it to apply to our, our own stories as well. The first is to realize that Esther is a great example of our big idea. And that is that God uses imperfect people to make a significant impact. See, as I was doing research on Esther, there was a few things I began to realize about her that I didn't first understand. The first was, was that many scholars, they didn't know what to do with her. Because she wasn't the, the prime role model for young Jewish girls back then. Because there was a lot of sketchiness, so to speak, to her past. For example, uh, where she lived. Uh, her and Mordecai, I mean, they chose to live in Susa and Persia rather than choosing to go back to Jerusalem to help them rebuild their land. And they could have done that for whatever reason. Maybe the reason was, hey, we're in this great city, and we know if we're going to go back to Jerusalem, we're just going to be rebuilding the whole time. And so we're more comfortable where we already live. Another thing about her, her choices is that she actually uh, was going by Esther, which was not her given name. Her given name at birth was Hadassah. That was her Jewish name. 
But she chose to be known by her Persian name, which maybe is a choice to blend in with culture rather than, blend, rather than follow her, her family's heritage. And then you throw into that all the sketchiness of how she became queen. Because we know this about the king. We know this about guys back then. I mean, they, they were not interested in the women's personalities. And they were interested in what they could do physically. And so many look at the story and they often wonder, well, why is this in the Bible? I mean, with all of that sketchiness in, in, in the past there. But as I read this about Esther, I began to think about my own life. And I don't know about you, but there's sketchiness in my past. And there's mistakes I've made. There's decisions I've made that I completely regret, that I'm ashamed of. There are times that I've covered up my faith. There's times that I chose comfort over courage. And there's a lot of regret. And as I read this about Esther and began to, to see this, I, I started thinking about what Paul wrote to the Philippians, to other Christians, where he told them, he said that he, this is God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Over and over again, I talk to people who say, God can never use me. And they say, God can never use me, and they say because of their past, the mistakes they've made, the things they've done, the things that they regret. Well, hey, I want, I want you to realize that God used Esther and God has used countless other people throughout history, mistakes and all, to do incredible things. And if you have a mistake that you've made, things that you regret, things that you're ashamed of, here's what I want you to know. That doesn't mean that God can't do anything through you. That means God isn't done with his work in you. He's begun a good work in you and he's going to carry it out until he finishes it in you. And that includes doing incredible, amazing things. The second thing uh, that, that we see from Esther's story is that God is always at work behind the scenes. One of the more interesting things about the book of Esther is that it's actually the only book in the Bible that does not have the name of God in it. But we can't confuse God's name not being in it with God not being at work in it. I mean, when we look at all the details of the story, I mean, God is clearly at work. There's no queen at just the right time when Esther's at the right age to be brought into this competition. She's an unlikely candidate, but she's actually chosen to, to be queen, and she's Jewish. The king extends grace to her at a time that he normally wouldn't do so. And that just leads into a series of events where she actually uh, helps her people be saved. I mean, God is at work in every line of the story. Honestly, when we read through the story, we don't really see a clear hero in the story. We just see a bunch of imperfect people. But what that means is that God is actually the hero in the story. And God is at work and through and among all of these imperfect people to be the hero of the story. And when we take that and we look at 2020 right now, and some of us even wonder with all that's going on, where is God? What is going on right now? Where, where, where is he in the midst of all of this? God is still at work in every scene, and God is still the hero of the story. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to our statement, if blank, then blank. And I want you to take some time, and I want you to fill in those blanks, these fears, where we look at the first fear, you know, related to this year, what, what is it that we fear? For, for my family and I, over the last couple of weeks, it's been related to school. 
you know, whatever the decision is, hey, whatever they decide, what's going to happen? And then we go into our, our then. You know, if they decide this, what does this mean for our education? What does this mean for our jobs? What does this mean for their health? And, and all of that there. But whatever that is, when we fill in those blanks, will we choose to make the same choice that Esther did? And that is, if blank, then God. That God is still the hero of the story. If this happens, I believe God is still at work. If this happens, I believe God is still God. And when we make this choice and when we go to God every time that this fear comes up, here's what happens. God will give us the courage to take the first right step. And when we take that first right step and when we act out of that courage, it's the first step in a dark horse story. Because after all, we are here for such a time as this. If this happens, then God this happens, God is still at work. If this happens, God is still God, and God is enough. Let me pray for us. God, uh, this is an incredible story uh, uh, that has just been preserved for us for so long as we read through the story of Esther, and it's engaging, it's interesting, it's compelling, and it's inspiring. But God, um, you don't want that just to be her story. God, you want to work in the midst of all of us. And so God, right now, uh, there's a lot of fears, a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges that we are facing right now. And God, I just pray that you just give us the courage to make the choice, that even if our fear happens, we still choose to believe that you are enough, that you are still good, and that you are still God. And God, I pray that that would give us the courage to take the right steps, to take the courageous steps to begin our journey for our dark horse story, God, where we would just do incredible, amazing things. Because God, we believe you put us here for such a time as this. And so God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in us. And God, we thank you that you started that through Jesus, who gave his life for us and rose again so that we can experience this new life with you. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rich Community Church's podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.